1: hey welcome to the podcast today is part two of my interview with gerald jones who's a pastor of a united brethren church i'm called mccallum church in delton michigan a very small town Uh, it starts with a very very small congregation but god is showing them growth without us Uh, they're doing it relationally there are lessons for all of us to learn in this this is really an exciting podcast gerald had to tough it out to get into the ministry once he's there,
0: look out. We continued on that path, started to, to shift toward the, the process, the formal process in my late 20s for becoming a pastor in our denomination. So much story in that. I went through one application process that was really trying for me. And it was another occasion where I believe God had spoken to me and said, you're going to follow this pastor. And that was hard because I was like, I don't want to bowl my way into this. I don't have a resume for this church. There's no way. So this is just weird. And that's kind of how it got received for most people. Years later, years later, this pastor is not retiring, but making an exit from this role. I apply for the position. Way too big for my britches based on my resume. But it as a matter of obedience, I pursued it. Well, out of 130 applicants, I was the only one that they said, we're not picking you. <laughs> Nobody else but they sat me down and said, um, you're you you were we you we considered you seriously, but we've selected somebody else. And I said, Well, I want to grow, so can I understand? Why? Why like why you didn't pick me? And and but their answer to me was your stage presence and your public speaking abilities aren't up to par. We really need somebody who is great at that and really professional to take this church to the next level. Mm-hmm. And this is a church of 300 in a community that has 11,000 people in the entire school district, and this one's out in the middle of nowhere. So I don't even know what next level looks like from an attendance perspective. But my answer to him was, well, wait, 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 no, what a pastor does is teach people to follow Jesus, equip them for ministry. And that happens between Sunday services. And Sunday is just an opportunity to to celebrate and worship and reinforce that. And in some seasons, grieve together. So a pastor would have to be a terrible public speaker to wreck a church that's healthy between Sundays. And he cut me off and he goes, No, 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 no. We really, this is what we need. We need somebody who's really professional here. That really and, and it's not to say that they couldn't have somebody who's professional and discipling between yeah, Sunday. Sure. But that answer just crushed my heart uh, as one who loves Jesus and loves the church and wants people to know the fullness of living in forgiveness and the peace that comes uh, from living living out that life. So I was flailing inside of myself, though. God told me that this is where I'm going. What in the world am I going to do? And um, I caused a little, uh, little angst by questioning um, through a letter and that ruffled some feathers. But then when they told me, no, 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 we're not reconsidering. This is the way it is. And because of the house I was raised in, we reconciled problems. And when somebody says, this is the final word on the matter, well, Joneses don't leave that as the final word because when somebody says that, it means they're hurt. So goofy Gerald with no resume, he calls up, our general superintendent, (laughs) who said this is the (laughs) final And he was a little frustrated with me at first. And I said, hey, from your last email, it's clear to me that what I said was hurtful to you and upsetting, and I'm calling to apologize. You said I implied some things that I didn't, and I didn't mean to, and I apologize to infer those things, and I apologize for any hurt that I might've caused. And he said, you know what? I really appreciate that, and let's do another call. We need to hash this out. So we did. And he advised me that we couldn't leave where we were. Um, it, it, Kayla and I couldn't leave where we were because we had foster children that we were in the process of adopting. So he said, if you can't move, I don't have anything for you. So then I reached out to uh, Ed Love with the Wesleyan Church in the city of Ionia, Michigan, because they wanted to plant churches. Um, and this is, I feel like there's a little bit of a rabbit trail. Uh, I had no idea who Ed Love was um, and what they were doing with this church in Ionia. But man, we got there and it was so clear that these people love Jesus. Uh, it was refreshing to walk into a space where the Holy Spirit's presence was was known. And uh, and Ed Ed's not a dynamic speaker. He's a really good teacher he takes care of people's hearts. Um so it was a, it was a cool experience to to walk into that and encounter somebody who was more focused on relational near enough often enough discipleship than he was on a on a Sunday morning show. And so I'm I'm learning a little bit from him but within months the Wesleyan Church has called him up to a new role at headquarters and people who had known him a lot longer than we did were were much sadder than we were because they had these really close bonds but it was sad to see him go and then the next pastor that came in we're we're kind of working alongside him and and learning and and so I'm at this point where I might have a residency with the Wesleyans well then the pastor that I was supposed to follow at this other United brethren church and i didn't I got turned down he calls me up one day and he says hey what do you got going on I said well i'm Work in construction. I got some. I got a few babies. I'm happily married. What do you mean? I, what do I have going on? He says, "Well, I, I heard you got some ministry opportunities. And how's that going? Well, they're going. to, I don't know. I, I'm. I've got four things that are probably going to work out. So I'm not taking any more jobs in construction. And I'm. I'm ready to go into one of those. Like we're we're consolidating our stuff. We're ready to move. And <laughs> he says, "Okay. Well, the thing I had in mind then might not work out." Let me know if if that stuff falls through, and and call me up, and I'll tell you what I have in mind. And I was like, well, that that's a stupid phone call. Yeah. Like you just you just told me you have some life changing thing in play, but I don't get to do it unless these other things fall through. All four of those things fell through. I had no construction jobs lined up. None of them fell through because I'm a knucklehead or had a bad resume. It just was their organizational stuff didn't work out. So I call up my other pastor, said, hey, that stuff all fell through. What's up? And he says, oh, really? They all fell through okay, well, I've got this church I've been with for a year. They were down to about 12 people, $8.65 in the bank. And they called me in with the denomination saying, hey, we're a church in crisis. We need some help. And he said, I I asked them, do you guys want to close the doors or do you want to stick it out? And he said, so like the average age is pushing 70. And they said, we want to stick it out. We want to keep going. And then they asked me to pastor for a year. So my friend pastors for a year and then we're connected. And he says, I think you and Kayla and the kids would be a great fit over here. Um, So that became a whirlwind of this two month, just back and forth. And this church almost, they just wanted someone loving and who would teach the Bible because they had been through some rough stuff. So that's what we did. We showed up doing that. And at this point, uh, the nine of us me and my household made the total 35, 35 people on a Sunday morning at a church that was near the end of the pavement. And people really talked, how are people even going to find our church? How are they even going to connect with us? And so we started pulling from what we had learned about our, our small group setting. Looking back, I'd call it more like a micro church, but we didn't have that language. In my time with the Wesleyans, I read Making Disciples, and it was a breath of fresh air. I was like, I'm I'm not a crazy person. And so we started praying and saying, God, show us what to teach. And I w- didn't feel like a pro at public speaking. And I had seen in one of your webinars when you shocked other pastors and said, oh, I take between two and four hours a week to do sermon prep. And I I'm I'm really immersed in the scriptures, but I'm teaching them throughout the week and I'm prayerful. And I just teach straight through one chapter at a time. And so I had tried some manuscripted stuff and people snoozed their way through that. And so I really just started immersing myself in the pastoral epistles and acts and, and presenting that as the Holy spirit led and the place he took us was unity through that process coming into COVID, the Trump era, the Biden era, all of this stuff, all this polarization, God took us into unity. And to the point that people were complaining. Visitors complained. They said, all you talk about is unity. And I said, but if Jesus said that the world will know the love of his His love, if the, they'll know the love of God by the unity of the church, then what is there to talk about until we've worked out forgiveness out of love, which reconciles relationships, which brings us to unity? What is there? What is there to talk about? What are we inviting people into? Why would we have a youth group? Why would we recruit people? Why would we invite people into things where we're gossiping and we're like, we had a lightning strike on the front of our building, blew the front of our building off. It looked nasty for an entire winter just because of how weather went. People started connecting with our church because our building looked stupid. They <laughs> uh, started asking questions and we were praying that God would send more workers. And, and so we were insistent on intergenerational ministry. And we, we have worked hard to not segregate um, by age. And a little bit of it happens because birds of a feather flock together. But so we're a church now of more than 100 people in four years. And we wanted to start into some micro church approach. And then COVID came and we didn't think it was wise to, to launch into that kind of intimate connection in the middle of that. And then a few months ago, I started um, teaching through missional disciple making, uh, utilizing some stuff from Casey Underground. And within a few months, we have nine micro churches. Two of them are a little in that kind of small group life group thing. But we're using uh, what is God teaching you? What do the scriptures say about God and about people? Um, What are you going to do out of with this new knowledge and praying together in meals, but three, three of these micro churches. Again, we're a church that sees seventy people on a Sunday. Three of these micro churches are a couple of months in and the people in the micro churches are not connected to our church and that's oh, really exciting and, and our growth hasn't been transfer growth and we have flat out refused we're we're a country church and we're really thankful for the financial resources that we have but we can't afford gimmicks so we haven't done gimmicks what we've done is say god is enough and his people is enough and the love there is enough and Getting together to praise him is enough. Getting together to grieve is enough. Gosh, you probably are forming some questions. And I feel like I could talk for another 45 minutes. Oh, uh, no, actually,
1: Gerald, I'm, I'm just getting impressed, uh, especially the last four or five minutes, what you said about the shape, what's going on, um, and, and and what's enough. Because I think we just cob everything up by, by our gimmicks, by our institutionalism, uh, by all the all the barriers that we set in front of young men who want to go out and serve the Lord, uh, I I am so impressed. And you know, to hear your story in a in a time when I mean, we're the news right now that we're seeing is that fifteen hundred pastors a month are resigning from the ministry. A lot of them, uh, they say. Some people say the number one reason is loneliness, isolation. Uh, making disciples, getting into people's lives, eliminates those problems, the stuff that you're talking about and the health that you're just displaying in a situation where other people would look at that and just throw up their hands and go, you know, this is hopeless or, you know, we're seeing, and it's, and it's a partly positive, but largely negative thing where... Uh, Churches of older people are giving up the, the building and saying we're done, and, and a young church comes in and starts over. And then what happens to those older people? We're, we're losing them in the mix. We need to have the heart of a pastor. All over again, the heart of a shepherd and the heart of Jesus, and I—I I just, you're, this is one of the most refreshing talks that I've had in a long time. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so blessed. So, where, what does it look like from here? I mean, I mean. You don't have a ton of resources. You're in a small town, uh, but there's a lot more people in the town than there are people in your church. So there's people who need Jesus. W- w- you know what? What's the future look like?
0: We're we're pretty excited and even feeling a little overwhelmed, but not not like buried overwhelmed about where we go from here. Uh, more like wonderment overwhelmed. And that's really good. I do have friends here, and and it, it's actually mind-boggling to me. That's often one of my questions for other pastors: Who are your friends? And usually, they refer to somebody from high school or college or something from decades ago. And that's not wrong. That that's okay. But they actually say, "Well, I was I was coached to not have friends in my church." Yeah. And I and I'm like, Jesus, tell his disciples: You're not just my students; you're my friends and and my friends get to know my secret and then he started sharing more with them. And so if he if he's doing that, who in the world am I to think that I I couldn't or shouldn't. So the benefit of that has been wonderful and and as we move forward in that brotherhood, that sisterhood, that friendship and start talking, we're we're at a place where people in our church desire so much for other people to experience what they're experiencing with God and abiding with God, abiding together near enough, often enough, and caring for each other across the, as as far as diversity goes in our community, it's really, it's age and economic. Um, but, but we're crossing those barriers collectively. And so we're in a spot where we're going, who are the people who are already encouraging and praying and speaking into people's lives. That we can support and encourage and coach going forward to to continue um, seeing micro churches emerge as we're missionally discipling, and we we've been really consistent. And I'm really driving at home right now with our church is the reality that we disciple people in every moment of our lives. Yeah. We're, we're discipling them into anger. We're discipling them into unforgiveness. We're discipling them into worshiping their retirement age and money. Um, we're, we're discipling them in, um, in parenting, we're just, whatever, whatever it is, moralism, legalism, um, or we're discipling them intentionally in the way of Jesus. Um, and so instead of saying, how do I disciple people? We got to realize that however we're interacting with people, we are teaching them about their worldview and, and fostering little to big shifts all the time in people's lives. So with that responsibility, let's shift into discipling people intentionally in the way of Christ in every moment. And then helping people understand just how simple that is, the, the simplicity of showing up praying with people instead of forgetting to pray with them later or for them later. So we're, we're looking to take that into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our school settings. Um, We don't do hardly any event based stuff, everything we're doing, we would like for it to pass this test of this can happen in any context throughout history and globally. Um, with any budget. So we're really focused on the meal, the prayer, the devotion to the scriptures and the fellowship, and then kind of saying, God, what's next? Where are you working? How can we join you? And trusting people to his care as they go forward. So we're, we're in a spot where we are pursuing those next people throughout our county. We're a rural county. Of 65,000 people. The biggest city in our county is 7,000 people in the county seat. There isn't an expressway that goes through our county. There, A railroad barely touches one corner of it. And we're in a spot where we are, are dreaming and praying um, for more workers so that the 59,000 people who don't engage church in any way, shape, or form would, um, in the next five to 10 years, would have experienced people who are so bizarre in their irrational generosity, um, bizarre in in caring for people they don't even know, and people who are making life decisions and economic decisions based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, that everybody in our county would experience those weird Christian people and be so compelled um, to inquire and say, why do you have hope and peace in the midst of difficulty that I've never experienced before?
1: I love it. I love it. And that's when we're going to be asked to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. When it's something that is... You said something earlier that Jesus uh, met people's needs before he opened his mouth. And when, when we're showing that kind of love, uh, good and gracious things are going to happen. Well, you know, as we're kind of winding this thing down, there's people who are going to be listening to this. Some probably are going to turn it off and go, well, guys in a small town, that doesn't really fit me. But it really does fit you uh, because every one of us lives in a small town. You know, I live in a in a county of three million people, but uh, I, I have, you know, uh, seven neighbors that I can name by name. That's a small town. That's a village in, in the middle of a metop- metropolis. And so um, if somebody has questions, they want to make contact, they want to, you know, check out your website, whatever's going on. How will they make contact with Gerald
0: Jones? Um, you want me to share specific sure. contact information? yeah um,
1: whatever you're willing to share if you're not if you feel not like you don't want to that's fine too
0: well I, my personal information is on our website it's www.mccollumchurch.org. if that doesn't pop up easily we're in delton michigan we're united brethren church in delton michigan um and that would have my contact information there super
1: i just want to say thanks for taking the time to do this this is uh this has fed my soul thank you very much
0: thank you it's, it's been good for me in the midst of some whirlwind lately to, to kind of rehash that, to see where we've been, where we've come from, where we are, and, and where we're going. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.